0: You're listening to the Sermon Audio from Mill Creek Community Church. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com.
1: In front of you, it's page 936. If you don't have a Bible, please take that home as a gift from us. Let's listen to the living word of the Lord from 2 Timothy 4, 1-8. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord, and this is true. Let's pray. This is your word, Lord. This is true. God, I pray you give us soft hearts and sharp minds, that you would enliven Jeremy to preach the word clearly and faithfully, and with conviction, Lord, that we might listen and obey. We love you, Jesus. Do your work by your spirit through your word. Amen.
0: Amen. Thank you, Chris. When it comes to marriage, most Christians know the difference between covenant marriage and consumeristic marriage. When it comes to marriage, in my opinion, most Christians or most members here at Mill Creek would know the difference between covenant marriage and consumeristic marriage. Marriage. Now, I know covenant's not a word we use very often, and so we think, okay, covenant, what's exactly a covenant? It's like a, a promise, I guess. It's something, something like a commitment. But, but covenant from God's word is thicker than promise. Make a promise, let's pinky swear. Covenant's thicker than that. Covenant's thicker than, you know, make a commitment... We'll meet for coffee this next Tuesday. Because in Christian marriage, or at least in what Christian marriage is supposed to be, covenant is a willingness to take your personal wishes and make them secondary. Some of you, you're listening, you just elbowed your spouse. (laughs) Like, Don't you get, get off that phone, he's got something to say to you right now. The covenant marriage is a commitment to take your desires and to make them secondary to yourself. Covenant in marriage is a willingness... To recognize that your self centeredness is not some fringe issue on the outskirts of your marital issues, but in fact, your self centeredness, Christian marriage, the covenant believes your self centeredness is the problem. That's the big problem when we think through the lens of covenant. And covenant is a willingness to stick. To that word that you gave your spouse before God and your family and friends, that you would stick with them through thick and thin, for better or for worse, richer or poorer, till death do you part. That's covenant. And covenant is so different than consumerism, which in my view, and this isn't an original thought to me, I'm taking lots of other people's perspectives and I think they're right. Covenant is very different than consumerism which seems to be our world's or our culture's understanding of marriage. Most folks might be at a wedding ceremony if they aren't Christian. They go to a wedding ceremony and they will say till death do us part but what they really mean is till death do us part Unless I can get a better deal. Because everything's all fine and dandy until a better deal comes around. And, and in a consumeristic approach to marriage, why, if you can get a better deal, do it. In a consumeristic approach to marriage, what I want, my desires, are actually most important. In a consumeristic relationship, Feeling in love is so critical. Not keeping your promises. And as a pastor, it can be easy to spot the folks who are not thinking covenantally about their marriage, but they're thinking consumeristically because they will come in and ask for appointment and then say something like, hey, I think it's time for me to get a divorce and I just want to make sure that you pat me on the back and tell me that's a good idea. So as a pastor, you say, okay, well, I mean... What, what, what's going on? Why are you thinking about doing that? And, and, and they say, well, you just, you just don't understand. My needs aren't being met. And, and I, just, I just don't feel in love. And, and you, you, you scratch your head and you go, oh, you don't, you don't feel in love anymore. Oh, you don't, your, your needs aren't getting met. Remind me where in the book that it says either of those are a good idea to get a divorce over. You need to put that in reverse, sir. When it comes to marriage, my view is most Christians really do get this thing is covenantal. This thing is covenantal. It's not consumeristic. And while I trust and hope that for many of us such a reminder is helpful, I do think there's another relationship in the church that we are a little more loosey-goosey on. Another relationship in the church where we're not quite as covenantal as maybe we ought to be, we actually lean more consumeristic. What relationship might this be that I'm not sure we're thinking is biblical about? I don't think this happened intentionally. I think it's just been a slow fade. Little by little, we've quit swimming upstream. The relationship then that I think we need to reevaluate, and even recalibrate would be the commitment between God's people and their local church. The commitment between God's people and that local congregation that they would say, that's my church, that covenant. I'm talking about church membership. I'm talking about the commitment that a pastor, elder makes to those who want to be under their leadership, and those members who want the pastor elders to shepherd them. I'm talking about covenant membership, and, and, and I'm not quite sure if the problem is that preachers like me haven't said it clear enough, or perhaps consumerism has snuck in the back door of the church somehow. Seems to me that, that Christians have forgot. I mean, the New Testament calls us God's new covenant people. That's not a category the Mill Creek elders invented. That's from God's word. He has a new covenant people that he has called to himself. And we must understand the significant commitment made in a church. And avoid the consumerism that will otherwise wreak havoc all around us. Because in our text today, as we walk through 2 Timothy We find Paul passionately pleading for Timothy as a pastor to remain committed to his church. And what we see in this small section of 2 Timothy are three commitments that Paul is calling Timothy to. And because Paul has three commitments, we're going to have three points in this sermon. If you're taking notes, I'd love for you to follow along in this three-part sermon as we're following Paul's argument. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, please open to 2 Timothy. Timothy 4. If you're newer with us, we're so glad to have you here. We regularly, weekly meeting together, walking through God's word. We've been in 2 Timothy for a few weeks now, continuing to walk through it. I want to show you from God's word what it says for us today. Here's Paul's first argument, the pastor's commitment to the church. Here is the pastor's commitment to the church. Look right there at chapter 4 verse 1. As Paul puts a charge before Timothy right out of the gate showing us that a church relationship is not to be consumeristic. Timothy, Paul says, I am holding you accountable in the presence of God and the coming judgment. Verse 2, preach the word. Preach the word. This concept, preach the word, is what? What? Paul charges to do. It's what Paul charges to do, if you, if Timothy to do. If, you, if, you're, if you're curious, the what of this section, it would be preach the word. That is what a pastor is committing to. And it, it, it reads like a vow. It, it, it brought to mind for me what happened at the altar between my wife and I as we made a promise in front of God, family and friends. This is what we're gonna do. That to me seems like what Paul's doing as it were, looking at Timothy and says, will you do this, Timothy? Preach the word. Now, I assume most of us here would understand, oh, preach the word. Okay, I I know what that means. He means preach the Bible. That is clear for, I trust, most of us. But in case you're here thinking, well, hey, 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 pause. Since this is such a crucial verse for churches like Mill Creek, who are working to gather everything we do around the word. That's why we're singing Psalm 46. Some of you have never sang Psalm 46 before, but we're trying to sing the word, we're praying the word. Of course, we're preaching the word, you go away. How do you know what the word is? I think Stott says it so well. He writes, Paul does not need here to specify that the word... None need to specify it any further. For Timothy will know at once that what Paul means is the body of doctrine which he has heard from Paul and which Paul has now committed to him to pass on to others. The word would be identical with the deposit from chapter 1. And in this fourth chapter, the word is equivalent to the sound teaching, verse 3, the truth, verse 4, and the faith, verse 7. It consists of Old Testament scriptures, God-breathed and profitable which Timothy has known from childhood, together with the teaching of the apostle, which Timothy has followed, learned, and firmly believed. That's 3.10 and 3.14. The same charge is laid upon the church of every age, and we have no liberty to invent our message, but only to communicate the word which God has spoken and has now committed to the church as a sacred trust. That is what Paul wants Timothy to do. But why? Why is he to do it? We'll look back at verse 1. Because judgment is coming. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge, the living, and the dead. So Timothy, along with every pastor who follows in this apostolic gospel, serves under the omniscient view of God. Omniscient kids, that's a big word. Just big word that means God sees and knows everything. He saw you get the flashlight and read that book when you're supposed to be asleep last night. He knows that happened. God sees every preacher who is in the pulpit and what they say, Timothy, to us and into the future. And so here, Paul's giving the why. Why you got to understand, Timothy? Christ is going to return. Christ will judge. Christ does see it all. So in view of that, preach the word. What must Timothy do? Preach why? Judgment is coming. But when? When? We have the what, we have the why. How about the when? Look at verse 2. Do you see it? Be ready in season and out of season. Be ready in season and out of season, which is to say we preach the word when things are going well and we are to preach the word when they are not going well. Pastors are to show up and preach the word when the church is full and they are to show up and preach the word when the church is empty. If you're going to preach in season and out of season, then you preach when the world pats you on the back and you preach when they want to put a knife in your back. You preach when you wake up and it's 60 degrees out and it's just a beautiful spring day and you get up when it's negative 10 and you get to preach in then too. All right, you preach when you feel like it. You preach when you don't feel like it. You preach when your heart's on fire and you preach when your heart feels cold. You get to preach the word all the time. That's what it means in season and out of season, amen? This church got started in 1995. and By God's grace, most every Sunday from then till now, had you shown up, the word gets preached. God willing, 30 years from now, you show up at this church, the word will keep getting preached. If the Lord tarries for another thousand years, my hope is that Mill Creek is still operating in some digital techno weirdo future world. <laughs> and they still preach in the word. In season and out of season. Preachers are to be like the Energizer Bunny. Maybe that's a little bit dated, but I can remember the commercials where that little bunny just keeps going and going and going and going. I don't know how long I'm going to have to keep going, but as soon as I'm done, there'll be another person up here in the pulpit to pick up where I left off. God willing, we just keep preaching the word over and over and over. I wonder what's going to happen at Mill Creek in 37 years from now. might wonder, God willing, Energizer Bunny preaching, man. This is the commitment in the text. Preach the word in view of God's judgment continually. And This is what Paul is telling Timothy. He's come to the last chapter. I've heard last words are lasting words. And those of you who understand the New Testament timeline realize this is Paul's last letter. He's written most of the New Testament. This will be the last we hear from him. He wants Timothy to keep this charge. as if he's looking at timothy and saying this is the covenant you make bro you win you do will you keep it well he keeps writing in verses three and four and here then i imagine paul turning from timothy and the vow he's calling timothy to make to looking at that church in ephesus of course for context timothy is a pastor he's discouraged he's at a church in ephesus And here is then his second big idea, the member's commitment to the church. Move with me now to verses 3 and 4. Remember, the congregation would have heard this letter read in a setting not so different than this. I know this is a letter to 2 Timothy, but we know from the plural use of you at the end of this letter that the intention was that there would be a week the Ephesus church showed up for worship service and instead of somebody preaching the word or in addition to somebody preaching something from the Old Testament, this letter would have been read and had authority from an apostle of God for the people of God there in the church to hear and submit to it. And so imagine if you were in the church of Ephesus and you heard this stuff being said from Paul, the guy who planted your church. Put yourself in their shoes or in their seat. As you hear these two verses, Paul writes, 2 Timothy 4.3, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from the truth and wander off into myths. Here again we find a what, why, and when. What must the church do? Endure sound teaching. You see that in the text I'm just taking it right out of there verse 3 you must endure sound teaching that is what they must do and here is why here's why people in timothy's church will have itching ears they will prefer myths over god's truth god's word they will prefer myths over the word. Now, in our culture, if somebody says, hey, my ear was itching, we, we mean, in, in our culture, like somebody was talking about you. In their culture, itching ears was a euphemism for somebody who hoped that their pastor would tell them that their sinful desires were actually good. That's what an itching ear was. An itching ear is, that guy who comes to the pastor to say, hey, I need a, I need a divorce because, because I don't feel in love anymore. As if anybody who believes in Christian marriage thinks that's what marriage is about, feeling in love. Uh, spoiler alert, it's not. You all know that, yeah? <laughs> I'm not getting much response. I thought, well, okay. <clears throat> By the way, if you didn't know this, Christian marriage is not about feeling in love. All right. I know romantic comedies are great. I grew up with Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. I think they're fantastic, but that ain't it. Okay, that ain't Christian. Marriage, okay. All right, All right now now that we got that settled, the, the, the itching ears would be the person who goes, yeah, 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 but it's really hard. Yeah, because you signed up for marriage because it's so easy. Uh, but but you, I don't feel it, or my needs aren't being met. Yeah, I'm sure you're getting withheld oxygen and water and food. I'm sure that's what's happening, yeah. Itching ears would be that person going to find a new pastor, going to a new church, and continuing to search for a church till they, till they find a pastor who says, Oh, your feelings and needs in marriage are actually the most important thing in your marriage. It's not your spouse, it's you. You really are the center of the universe, and, and how dare that spouse of you do, you should get a divorce. That's what itching ears would be like in their culture. Paul's challenge here, and I hope you see this, is so relevant for us today, friends. It's so relevant for us today. For good grief, the Internet is full of so-called preachers who will tell you anything you want to hear. I mean, I think there's also some churches around that if you wanted, you could think of almost anything opposite to the Bible and find somebody who calls himself a preacher saying that that behavior is actually okay. In our day and age, it does not seem to me to be a stretch to say you can almost find a pastor saying it's good to do almost any sinful behavior. But if you can't find that guy or gal in person, I promise you can find it on the internet. I do not encourage you to search for it on the internet. But I do think it's there. In the form of some meme or some preacher telling you that you're the most important thing. Whatever sinful passion that you can invent in your heart of hearts, you should be true to your feelings because feelings are the most important thing. Understand, church, we are just like them, tempted to turn away from the truth We want our sinful passions validated. And this is why we too, like them, have itching ears. We all, we all, me too, are just like Adam and Eve. All of us in here have this sin sickness. We have a tendency and the temptation to believe that what we see is more beautiful than God. It's really quite easy. Eve looks at the apple. The text tells us, she goes, man, that thing looks good. Sin looks good. I dare say when she took a bite, she went, yum. But it kills you. All of us are no different. We have itching ears. We are tempted by the lie. And we think sin is better than submission. We all struggle with it. Which means, friends, we have not only got to, we not only need to avoid forbidden fruit, but in this, in this section, we must avoid not only the forbidden fruit, but those snake-like preachers who tell us that the fruit is good. I personally thought that was a great quote I just gave you, and some of you just staring at me. Let me just try it again, just one more time, to see if it lays a little... I messed that "um" in the middle there. We not only need to avoid the forbidden fruit, but avoid those preachers who tell us to eat the forbidden fruit. Amen. Yes, amen. Amen. All right, uh, full disclosure, I did not come up with that quote. I lifted that from somebody else so, so that I have a clear conscience and can sp- sleep tonight. The heart hears this. Church members, endure sound teaching. Don't leave to have your itching ears relieved. What? Endure sound teaching. Why itching ears? When? There at the beginning of verse 3, Paul says, the time is coming, which I did study. Turns out this is Paul's way. The original audience would have known he means the time has just arrived. And if the time has just arrived for Timothy's church, why good grief in twenty? 24, we are well in the middle of it, are we not? The time is here, and this is then the second commitment in summary. What should the members commit to? Answer, enduring sound teaching. Why? Because itching ears leads you away from God's Word. And when? Now. This calls us then to consider, those of you here, Members or those considering membership at Mill Creek, will we follow our culture toward consumerism? Or will we have the clarity to understand that the church in our submission to God is covenantal? Which will it be? God's covenant people? Or will we revert to consumeristic folks? Here then I imagine Paul looking Having spoken to Timothy, looking at the members of Church of Ephesus, saying, will you commit to this? Will you commit to enduring sound teaching? Will you avoid itching ears? And beware, because the time is now. Well, having considered the pastor's commitment, the member commitment, let's move to the final section. Here we find Paul's commitment, verse 5 to 8. Verse 5. Verse 5. As for you... Timothy, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. True to form, Paul again has a what, why, and when. What, it's clear for Timothy, pastor soberly. Timothy, pastor soberly. Which is not to say that, that, that Timothy is to avoid having some of Grandpa's cough medicine before he gets up in the pulpit. That is not to say that Paul should be hitting the, or Timothy should be hitting the wine before he preaches. He's not saying that, okay? Uh, I don't think that's a good idea, let the record show. But his point about being sober is not just don't drink and preach. His point with soberly is even bigger than that. His point is don't you let any outside influence affect you spiritually when it comes to preaching. You must do this soberly before God. He will judge you, Timothy. You have to preach exactly what you understand the text to say. Do not be spiritually affected by outside influence, which explains why he must also endure suffering. You just keep doing it no matter what, as well as evangelize. See that there in the text? Verse 5. Do the work of an evangelist. Now our tendency is to read that and to imagine to ourselves, oh, so Timothy is supposed to have a blessed friend and he's supposed to share the gospel. That's what he's supposed to do. Uh, In case you're not an insider with us, uh, for Mill Creek members, we talk about a blessed friend and we have a little thing on the board. Uh, A blessed friend is a person who's not a Christian that we think about that acronym BLESS, B-L-E-S-S. B, when you have somebody, you know it's not a Christian, you B, be prayerful for them. L, listen to them, have conversations. uh, E, eat with S, serve them, S, share Jesus with them. And our tendency, if, if you grew up as a Christian or you kind of have the insider language, our tendency is to see Paul saying here, do the work of an evangelist, and we're like, ah, I get it. Timothy, he should go to his kids or his, or his, or his congregation's soccer game, and he ought to have a conversation with people who don't know Jesus, or when he goes to Starbucks and gets his coffee, he should just reach out to other people. And all of that's fine, but the original language word for evangelist here is much bigger then just tell non-Christians about Jesus. What Paul's saying is, no, no, no. The, the gospel, which is the root word for evangelize, the gospel actually should be what you say to non-Christians and what you say to Christians. And this is real crucial for us because we have a tendency to think, oh, I should probably go share Jesus with somebody. And so what we think about is, oh, I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna share about... I only talk about Jesus with people who don't know him yet, but for Paul... He wants everyone in Timothy's church, Christians and non-Christians alike, because this is what we all have in common here. All of us who walked in this door, you and me alike, whether you profess faith in Christ right now, whether you've ever been baptized, whether you're a member here or anywhere, what we all have in common is this. We need reminded that we are sinners before a holy God, and Jesus came and lived perfect for us and has rescued us from our sin. That's what we need. We cannot save ourselves. You cannot save yourself. We all need that same message. Paul's summary and expectations for Timothy, fulfill your ministry by sharing the gospel. That is what Paul wants him to do. As for why, from verses 6 to 8, Paul explains in his example, in his commitment, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. The motivation to finish well for Timothy is the crown of righteousness. Paul has in mind the eternal reward that the righteous judge will give to Paul. But notice this reward. It's cultural equivalent to our Olympic gold medal. Paul's saying, I'm going to finish the race. I'm going to get the Olympic gold. I want the crown of righteousness. Paul is saying, look, I'm going to get it. You can get it, Timothy, and Church of Ephesus, you all can get it too if you love his appearing. That's why. What? Fulfill his ministry. Why? To receive the reward. And when? On that day. Do you see that there at the end of verse 8? He will award to me on that day. Now in case you didn't brush up on all of 2 Timothy this morning, this isn't the first time Paul's mentioned on that day. He said as much in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, I'm not ashamed for I know whom I believed and am convinced that he is able to guard until that day that which has been entrusted to us. That day is judgment. He makes the same point in 1 Timothy 1.18. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. He's thinking about judgment. Paul, if you didn't know he's come to the end of his life. It won't be long and he will be gone. And he's got that day in front of him. It's why he says in 2 Timothy 2.11, the saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. When? On that day. What Paul's modeling for us is how important that day is for us, friends. You ought to be living this day in light of that day. That's why. Why? It's nonsense to think that how you live yesterday or today doesn't matter. I'm sure somebody out there will preach the message that it actually doesn't matter what decisions you make. That's not Paul. He's saying it really does matter. And I hope you're seeing the significance these commitments were and still are. It's not my opinion. This isn't like the Mill Creek elders got together and, and we said, you know what? I think we should really... We should really talk through how, how important it is to, to preach the word and, and help our people to endure sound teaching and to be, be careful of itching ears. And, and, and we should really tell them that, that judgment's coming and, and that'll, that'll get them. The elders didn't do that. We're just trying to take God's word, preach it straight the way we see it. And in contrast then to our culture, we are trying to reject a framework of consumerism, not only in our marriages, but also in our life with the church. And we want to be committed. Not based on preferences, but based on God's word. Because friends, here's where I think consumerism has snuck in the back door. A church shouldn't really be about a preacher's personality. That's not what you commit to. I think that's normal for everybody else. I just, you know, the, the preacher's personality. I don't see that in the text. It's not preaching personality, it's not song style, it's not length of service, it's not, well, do they have that pet program that I really love to have that pet program, and I've I got to go to a church that has a pet program. Those things aren't what's most important any more than you would get married for those reasons. Instead, our commitment to God's church ought to be anchored in being His covenant people, a people God has called to Himself from eternity past to eternity future. And by God's grace, if we would be faithful, and if the members of this church would be faithful, why then there ought to be in the church a culture of perseverance, faithful, gospel-centered perseverance, an encouraging community that would be so winsome to the outside world that non-believers would just look at the way we relate and think, I wish I was a part of that. And you know this, right? When you see people who've been married for a long time They've been faithful to their covenant. There grows this beautiful picture of marriage that leaves the rest of us going, man, that's what I hope my marriage turns into. True for marriage, true for the church. Here then, in a sentence, is Paul's charge. Carry on the fight by committing to God's church. And that's our sermon in a sentence This morning as kids walk in here, then, having just finished talking and walking you through this text, preaching through it, I want to move to application in a very special way. For while our culture is permeated by consumerism, we're working hard to swim upstream and do our best to live as God's new covenant people. And in view of the crucial commitments that Christians are to make to their church, and in And as a result of the motivating word that Paul has written in this section to inspire Timothy to fight and endure, we want in this special Sunday to apply this text by commissioning, sojourn, and those who are leaving to go plant a church in Gardner beginning next Sunday, we want to apply this text by commissioning and praying for them. Here's how this is going to work. If you're here and you're a member of Sojourn, we would love for you to come and join us on stage. We've got the stage almost cleared away. And so if you're a sojourner who's, who's this is your last Sunday here, would you come on down and, and bring your kids? We want all of you on up here. If you're a uh, member of Mill Creek, then... And if you've been a member for a while, you, you might remember that this church was planted in 1995, Mill Creek was, by another church in town. It was called Olathe Bible Church. Now it's called Journey Bible Church. Mike Bickley's there. In 2018, we planted the first church. Here then is the second church we're going to plant. If you just happen to walk in today, you're a guest. You've never been to Mill Creek before. Boy, have you come to a unique service. <laughs> Great timing. Today then, Mill Creek, the elders, members, we want to commission all of these wonderful people to the church that they're going to begin. So first let me address the future elders of Sojourn. And I want to I read a statement. And if you're going to be a future elder, let's see, would you come on out here just a step yeah, they're in the back. They want to hide back there. Would you, if, if the, the, uh, this is not a church yet. They'll become a church next Sunday when they begin. Um, and so these are the uh, appointed future elders of Sojourn that we are sending. And so I want to read. And then, gentlemen, if, if, if you agree with this, I'd love for you to respond by saying we will. So for, so for just you four, Sam and Drendel and Craig and Scott, will you commit yourself to faithfully preaching the word in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who's judged living in the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom, will you be ready in season and out of season to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete, complete patience and teaching? So help you, God. We will. Amen. You guys can go back to your old spots if you like. <laughs> and now, uh, um, next week, God willing, Uh, Many of you will become members of Sojourn. Uh, Not members yet, and so let me address those of you who intend to become members next week. I'll I'll read another statement, and if you would be so kind as to respond with, we will, if you would take this promise. Um, Mill Creekers, if you're thinking, wow, where did you get this language? Uh, We just took it straight out of the text, right? Future members of Sojourn, will you commit yourselves to endure sound teaching? Despite your itching years and the temptation to accumulate teachers to suit your own passions, will you commit to listening to God's truth and not wander off into myths so help you, God? Amen. Amen. Both future elders, future members of Sojourn, one more from 2 Timothy. Will you all commit to being sober-minded, to enduring suffering, to gospel proclamation and the fulfillment of the ministry God has intended for Gardner so that you can one day say like Paul that you have fought the good fight, you have finished the race, and you have kept the faith. And will you commit to loving Christ's appearing so that on that day you will receive the crown of life? So help you God, Mill Creek, I want to ask a commitment from you. If you're here and you're not a Mill Creek member, we are not asking you to make this promise. So feel free to nod along in solidarity if you like. But for Mill Creek elders, members, deacons, if you agree with this statement, when I'm finished, will you say we will? Here's the commitment from us. Will you Mill Creek elders... Allow me to add deacons and members, commit yourself to sojourn church. Will you, Mill Creek, encourage them, do your best to care for them, support them in whatever appropriate ways you can, and and, and most importantly, pray for them that they would preach the word, endure sound teaching, and they would fulfill their ministry. So help you, God. I will. Amen. Amen. Now. Now having heard these mutual commitments in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who's the judge, the living, and the dead, we do officially commission you, Sojourn, to go and make disciples for God's glory so that more may know Jesus. Amen. Will you join me in applauding the commission? Yes. It's our view that we don't do standing ovations enough in our Christian world. Oh, God knows they do standing ovations in the rest of the world, but it comes to the church. Very few times do we actually stand up. Church planning launch team is worthy of having a standing ovation. We're going to pray to finish the commissioning, but before we do that, we've asked Craig to say a word. Is so there a mic right over here, Craig? Craig and, and Denise were part. Of this church in 1995 when it got planted. He was on the team that got planted. He served as an elder. Ever since I've been here, he's been an elder. And now he's going to plant another church. What a wonderful example. Follow Craig as he follows Christ's sojourn. Take a moment to say what you need.
2: If you have your Bibles, then I hope you do. I'm notorious for speaking longer than my two minutes that I'm allotted, so. Um, Anyway, um. (laughs) it's bittersweet. Yeah, I've been here a long time. Um, I did outlast the carpet, (laughs) so whatever that's worth. Um, I remember meeting in our our first week as 100 of us, and now look what God has done um, here. And um, I always keep coming back to my life verse of uh, Philippians 1-6, where Paul was uh, on his missionary journey, visited Philippi, started a church there in Philippi, and uh, then he wrote a letter uh, to people that he knew, some people that he probably led to the Lord, come to know the Lord, um, and he wrote the church letter, and I, I got thinking, what can I say? And I'm like, well, I can't say any better than Paul does uh, in a letter to a church. And he says, um, we are partners in the gospel. And that word partnership is koinonia. That's, that word is fellowship. That word is communion. And so as we are leaving, we don't break that communion. We are still in fellowship. We are still together sharing the gospel. And that's what we want to do. I, I like, as I kept reading, reading and reading over and over, um, Philippians 1.6, being confident of this thing. And, and by the way, Jeremy didn't invent sermon in a sentence. Paul did. <laughs> this is Paul's sermon in a sentence. He says, being confident of this very thing that he... I remember he, Jesus Christ, not Paul, not me, not Jeremy, not the elders, not the launch team. It has always been about he and him. It will always be about he and him. It's not about us. Um, We like to find a church where it's about us. Like Jeremy said, it's not consumerism. It's about him being confident that he who began the good work. So he started it. Paul started the church, but God really began the work. And when God is in something, it's going to be a good work. We all tend to shy away from the word work, but it is work. It's a lot of work. Um, Maybe you've started a new job, that could be a lot of work. You've started a family, that's a lot of work. Uh, you've started your own company, that's a lot of work. Yeah, starting a church is a lot of work, and it takes hard work to make it happen. And I am so grateful for all the launch team members here who have helped in that work and have done so much work in that. But the work's not done. It's just beginning. The work's not done here at Mill Creek. The work wasn't done at Olathe Bible Church when they planted Mill Creek. The work wasn't done at Olathe Bible Church when Presbyterian Church of Olathe started, a group started Olathe Bible. So the work is continuing, and it says that He will complete it. Not when I'm dead and gone, not when you're dead and gone, not when we leave. But he will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Until that day. So it will last longer than we're around. But it's his work. And as long as it's his work, it's good work. And we're in it. Thank you.
0: Thanks, Craig. Jonathan is, uh, of course, a former staff member. And he'll be the uh, sole paid uh, elder there, God willing, four elders and members, but uh, Jonathan will be the uh, paid elder. We've asked him to say
3: a final word for Sojourn. As I was uh, listening to to Jeremy's sermon today, uh, I I just kept thinking um, how uncommon it is what we're doing in this room today it's uncommon for people to gather together actually trusting in the sufficiency of God's word. It's uncommon for a church to take its, its people and its resources and to send them out the building with zero expectations of, of anything in return. It's uncommon for people to leave their home church to start something new with zero guarantees. It's, it's uncommon. But it's, it's not uncommon because we trust in our strategies, our procedures, or, or we want to make much of ourselves. It's uncommon because we have an uncommon God, a, a God who defies categories, a God who defies the logic of the world, a God who defies the sinfulness that plagued our hearts so much so that he willingly sent his son to die for us. It's uncommon because our God is able, He's willing, and He's ready to send His people out to save the lost, the weak, the dying, to bring salvation to people who are far off, just like He brought salvation to us. Uh, As Craig shared with us, you know, if, if God is not in us in this, we can't do anything. If God were not here, if we did not have an uncommon God on our side. All of this would be foolishness, but we too believe that our God is on our side and that he is fighting for us and that he goes besides us into the victory. And so today, even as I'm, I'm, I'm grateful and thankful for the, uh, the choice that all these people have, have made to walk alongside me and my wife as we go plant a church, I, I also want to challenge you, Mill Creek, to have an uncommon faith. A faith that is is willing to say yes when God says go. A faith that is willing to say yes when God asks you to do something that feels illogical. A faith that says yes when God asks you to do something that is uncomfortable. Not because you're confident in yourself or in your church, but because you are confident in your God. A God who is able who is willing, and who is still calling and is still saving the lost. What we're doing here today is is evidence that God is still working. That even though what we're doing is uncommon in our culture, that God is still saving people. And so we still need to keep going. And even today, I'm, I'm encouraged by what God is doing in sojourn, but already hoping forward to the next church plant that God is already calling some of you to be a part of. But maybe it's it's not a church plant. Maybe it's the mission field. Maybe it's just bringing the gospel to your neighbor. Maybe it is is just standing firm in your faith and saying, yes, I want to commit by being a church member. By stepping up and saying, yes, I want to be counted amongst God's people because I believe that 2,000 years ago, God came in the flesh, he lived the life that none of us could live, and he died the death that each and every one of us so rightfully deserved, so that we could have the privilege, the honor, the responsibility to carry that gospel to people who are far off. I want to challenge you to put that yes on the table. I also want you to challenge you to pray for us. Pray for us because we are walking into spiritual warfare. We are walking into the devil's territory, and he does not want to give it up. But I also know that the prayers of the saints, the prayers of the faithful are heard by our God. So please pray. Please pray for each and every one of us by name. Pray for Sojourn and pray for Gardner. And rejoice with us as we have the opportunity to go out and share the gospel with the lost. Thank you, Mill Creek. Thank you, Sojourn Launch team. Thank you, God, for all you do for us. Amen.
0: We're now going to pray. So could I have the Mill Creek elders who've been uh, crucial to all that has gone? Would Mill Creek elders, come on up. We're going to have Dr. Ralph, one of our elder board chairs, and uh, Nathan uh, pray on behalf of Of the elders. Of course, the elders lead this church, and it's been um, their oversight and shepherding that has put us in this position where we are able to uh, send sojourn out to Gardner to see more, know Jesus. Uh, Of course, the reason we're church planting, in case you're like, wait, there's already churches in Gardner. Why y'all need another church? All the stats show more people come to know Jesus when more churches are planted. And I know that is like contrary to what a lot of people think, but that's just the, that's the way the facts state. And if, and if the stats showed that laundromats had more people come to know Jesus, Mill Creek could be in the laundromat business. <laughs> that's not what the stat shows. It's all church planning. So that's why we keep planning churches so more know Jesus. Well, we've got elders up here who are going to, um, from the example in the book of Acts with, with Barnabas and Paul, they're going to put their hands on um, some shoulders or on somebody in, uh, if, if sojourn. Uh, future church members would kind of put their arms around each other. I also want to invite anybody who's a member here um, of of Mill Creek. If you would like to come and put your hands on any any of our people, if you're a friend, even a guest, if if you would like to, we are inviting anyone in this room who would like to prayerfully send these folks out. You can just kind of make your way up here, and you can just put your hand on on Reed or put your hand on my shoulder. And um, I don't know how it works, but somehow in God's sovereignty, he allows prayers and touching to go shoulder to shoulder all the way to the people you're, you're it's, just, it's like electricity I guess, so if you, uh, if you would like to, we'd love to invite any of you to come on up here and pray for these precious kiddos, kids who are on the front row, if you guys want to come pray for one of your friends, you sure can pray for one of your friends, it's okay if you don't want to as well, I love that Claire, thanks. Oh, yeah. Come on up. Yeah, you can come up. My little Vivi's got a friend that she's saying goodbye to today, too. It's better better to give than to receive, but sometimes giving is sad in some ways. Dr. Ralph and then Nathan will pray for us before, uh, as we finish our commissioning. Please, Dr. Ralph.
4: Let's pray. Dear God. Thank you for allowing us to grow to be a church that is not st- static, but is willing to take the, the pain and the joy and all of the perseverance and, and to encourage these wonderful families to go to gardener and to plant seeds. And God, we pray that your harvest will be great. God, I just uh, pray that you'll be with Jonathan as he preaches the word. Make it clear. God, I pray that you'll be with these families, these children, these husbands and wives that will uh, face trial, but you will give them strength. Help them put on the full armor to avoid the, the arrows of of discouragement and concern help them to just um, lean on you lean on your word and follow your word carefully god i just pray for this church mill creek that you will help us encourage them that you will help us serve them that they're part of our family and we're growing and uh, just thank you god for your holy spirit that will empower us and and strengthen us and carry us through when we are not able to see a way, but you do. In Christ's name I pray.
5: Dear Heavenly Father, uh, today is a um, profound reminder of your command to go and make disciples. Uh, We ask that we would live this out daily and do so in a manner that's pleasing to you. it's also a reminder lord with this uh, name that the launch team has prepared of sojourn um, that we are exiles here Um, much like paul's message uh, we have our citizenship in heaven that's where we're supposed to keep our eyes fixed and we'd ask that you would help this team help this church um, to see that clearly day in and day out uh, not dragged down by the things of this world by the desires of the flesh but instead focused on serving you We want to be more like Jesus and follow his perfect example, Lord. Please, Lord, uh, we ask that you would help us to um, live in the light and to um, shine your glory to others, that people would know the hope and the joy that we have in you, um, that uh, for all the things that uh, can seem uh, to make us so downtrodden in this world. that there is this uh, great joy that we can cling to, uh, and that is holy in Jesus Christ. God, uh, whenever uh, we're about to start something new, something that feels um, and is bigger than ourselves, uh, there can always be much uncertainty, Lord. But you have promised us. You have promised your wisdom. Uh, We ask that you would give it generously that your loving arms of protection would be wrapped around us, wrapped around all these members of Sojourn Church, um, and that uh, we would continue to walk faithfully, uh, both now and until the very end, pleasing to you in all that we think, say, and do, uh, and giving the glory not to ourselves, but wholly to you. We thank you, Lord, for this um, mission that you've given us. Help us to live it out rightly. We love you, Lord. Praise your name, and in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.
0: If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at MyMillCreek.com.